a little bit more. Fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market, laissez-faire, capitalist society, allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. It is the day we've been looking forward to for a long time. It is a Friday. Welcome into the Friday broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. We love you to death and appreciate you hanging out the way we do every single day. Boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, and it's not going to be a fun one. Can I just throw that out there? Usually usually you get out there and it's all happy and go lucky, and we try and keep people entertained, maybe have a couple chuckles, and I'll try the best I can today. I honestly will, but today's going to be a tough one. We have some serious things to talk about and things that a lot of people may not like to talk about, but we are here to do it, and I promise you, as long as I am on the radio airwaves, we will continue to do this every single year, no matter how difficult it may or may not be. We'll do that in a second here. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Ethan Corin, Chorin. I'm going to slaughter his name. I, I apologize for that. He is a former diplomat. He's also a political analyst. He also has the book Benghazi, a new history of the fiasco that pushed America and its world to the brink. We'll talk about the commemoration of Benghazi because that is upon us now. Ten years, I believe. Is that right? Ten years, I think, for the Benghazi thing. What really happened, and as Hillary Clinton said so conveniently during her hearings about Benghazi as former Secretary of State, at what point does it really matter, right? At what point does it really matter? So we'll talk about Benghazi. We'll talk about the remembrance of Benghazi, the history of Benghazi, what happened in Benghazi with the U.S. Embassy, and where are we right now with the investigation, understanding what truly happened at that time. At the same time, I want to see a show of hands right now. If you're driving, you'd still roll down your window and show of hands as well, no matter where you may be. How many people have heard anything in the mainstream media today, or the last day, at all, about September 11th, coming up this Sunday? Did you know it was happening? Did you remember that it was coming up this weekend? I'm sure everybody's like, oh, man, yeah, that's was this weekend. Holy cow, I can't believe I forgot about that. Did anybody remember? This is the 21st anniversary of September 11th. So on this program, like we do every single year for the 9-11 commemoration, we have a special audio bit that we'll play. It's a commemoration that I put together years ago. It's about seven or eight minutes long. We'll play that here in just a bit. And um, so get the te- get the Kleenexes out because, you know, every time I play it, I've played it for years and I put it together myself and I still get teary-eyed listening to it. So we'll play that here in just a minute. And I want to ask you a question as we go into the 21st anniversary and commemoration of September 11th. Are we forgetting? Didn't the signs that we had after 9-11 say never forget? There's a new generation of young adults that are coming up that don't even know what we're talking about. I hate to age myself because I was in middle school when it happened and everybody thought I was young at that time. Uh, But I have a guy that I work with here at the radio stations in Wichita where I'm at. He was born in 2001. He just turned 21 himself. He was born 
the year that 9-11 actually happened doesn't have an emotional connection to it. Now, there's always some type of catastrophe that every generation has to go through that traumatizes them, that is scarred into their life forever. For some, it may be World War II or the Korean or Vietnam conflicts or some of the other issues. For me, it's 9-11 and the war that consisted thereafter, the war on terror and what we're dealing with with all the garbage right now. Have we forgotten as a nation? We have elected officials that are about my generation, the Ilhan Omars, that say some people, some did th- did something. Didn't specify, didn't say what it was, but somebody did something. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. Let's just continue to move on. The mainstream media, they're more worried about a 96-year-old lady that died in the U.K. yesterday, more so than what's coming up in a couple of days in preparation for our 21st commemoration of September 11th. Have we forgotten? And if we have forgotten, then what's around the corner? Because history continues to repeat itself. And the ideologies are still lingering out there. Good and bad ideologies all over the world. And we have forgotten. So we tend to let our guard down. We tend to get comfortable with the new norms. We tend to get surprised when something else happens. Because history continues to repeat itself. Because we continue to let the emotion fade. And we forget about what actually happened on those times have we forgotten and are there new threats out there and what is the biggest threat out there right now is it terrorism is it domestic terrorism according to joe biden it's domestic terrorism now from you and i as the maga crowd as the conservatives as the ones that challenge the federal government and their centralization of power that is the new threat according to the mainstream media and according to the leaders of this country right now it's you and i That are the threats. No more of foreign nations. No more of foreign threats. No more of foreign ideologies that are trying to harm us because of evil Americans and their freedom. It's not about that any longer. It's the ones that are trying to preserve freedom in the nation and trying to stop a centralization of power from socialists that have taken over our nation. Is that the new threat today? It's something to ponder. And it's something to be concerned about. And it's something for us to think about as we wonder how to preserve this nation and what we can do to make this nation a better place. So without further ado, we put this together a few years ago. It took me a long time. I did it all by myself. Me, myself, and I put this bit together, and it's something that I'm proud to uh, air every single year. And as long as I am on the radio every year, I will continue to play this for our 9-11 commemoration here on The Voice of Reason. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. I saw a big, I heard a boom walked up and there was a big ball of fire. I'm now looking north at the World Trade Center. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers. The pieces of the building were flying down. All of this was brought upon us in a single day. Here, that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God, that looks like a second plane. And night fell on a different world, a world where freedom itself is under attack. There's another one, another plane just hit. <gasps> on September the 11th, enemies of freedom committed an act of war against our country. That just exploded. We I just saw another plane coming in from the side. Americans have known wars, but for the past 136 years, they have been wars on foreign soil. It's horrible. It's, I, I, I can't even describe it. Americans have known the casualties of war. You can hear the fire engines and the emergency and emergency crews behind me. Americans have known surprise attacks, but never before 
on thousands of civilians. Tremendous explosion as it hit the Pentagon. I looked right, I looked over, and the smoke started coming up. Pieces of the plane were, and pieces of the Pentagon were falling onto the 14th Street, onto the Shirley Highway. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Apparently a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. Now, running away very, very quickly, there are more explosions further down the building. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway. This is so shocking, of course, to everybody watching. I, I've never seen anything like it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center. And the Pentagon is being evacuated. There is a large fire there, and that is the smoke you see in the shot that you are looking at now. It appears that an aircraft of some sort did hit the side of the Pentagon. It's a very haunting description that Bob Kerr just gave of that low-flying aircraft near the White House, and one can only wonder if that was something that ultimately ended up in the Pentagon. There has just been a huge explosion we can see uh, a billowing smoke rising and i can't I'll, I'll tell you that i can't see that second tower can we just saw a live picture of what seemed to be a portion of the building falling away only one tower is standing the other has collapsed the whole side has collapsed the whole building has collapsed the whole building has collapsed the building has collapsed big bang and then we saw smoke coming out and everybody started running out we saw the plane on the other side of the building and there was smoke everywhere and people were jumping out the windows over there. They're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to see themselves. I don't know. And there's, you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. Body parts all over the place. I mean, this is just, I feel like I was in a movie. There's a, there's a haze everywhere. It's very, very difficult to see, but there has been a, a whole area has been covered by foot and ash. The second building just fell. At least five or six, and uh, it was it was absolutely terrible. Obviously, they had two choices: to be burned into in flames or to uh, leap and end it all. Debris continues to fall and to rain on the people below. There are people hanging from the windows, 90 stories up, and a number of bodies have actually hit the pavement. There's some really crazy people in this world. Uh, this is just not. Uh... Too many innocent people. People were jumping off the building. Have you ever seen anything like this? Absolutely not. I've seen at least 10 people fall to their death. The pieces of the building were flying down. It's horrible. It's, I, I can't even describe it. What did you see happen? The whole building just fell. The second building that was hit by the plane has just completely collapsed. The Twin Tower, it's some 110 stories high. It's starting to fall apart. The evidence we have gathered all points to a collection of loosely affiliated terrorist organizations known as Al-Qaeda. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Let me say to the families who lost loved ones on 9-11 that we have never forgotten your loss. Beyond the boundaries of your city's lights Stand the heroes waiting for your cries So many times you did not bring this on yourself But only here did that little band of men so advance beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since.
evolved the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. They will hand over the terrorists, or they will share in their fate. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. We passed over a destroyed land. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. You who have not seen it do not know what hell looks like from the top. I can report to the American people and to the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. I've got one thing to say. We got him! Proud of the guys that were willing to go out there and, and take care of business. We have caught and compromised to a permanent end Osama bin Laden. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Thank you, good night, and God bless America. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back in 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. Thank you. We just played our 9-11 commemoration audio bits. Again, for those that may be relatively new to the program, we put that together years ago, probably 8, 10 years ago, and I have used it every single year, and I swear to you, while the mainstream media may not be talking about it because they care more about the 96-year-old that died in the U.K., as opposed to, or 98 year, however old she was, I don't really care. They're not talking about things here that are important. We have the new generation coming up wanting to forget about these things, not wanting to care about these things, not thinking it's important, and it is important, and we're never going to forget, which is why we said we were never going to forget. And to kind of look back from that time to now, the difference that the country has had. I mean, look how big the government has grown. Look at the divisiveness that we have eating ourselves from within here now in the country to where now we, uh, we, we're we not concerned about exterior forces. We're now concerned about interior forces. We have the Biden administration saying the number one threat to this nation is not terrorists outside, but is the domestic terrorists that are inside. They're the political opponents of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And that is what the focus is on. We have now turned inward. Our enemies outside of this nation have said this for years. That the biggest threat, the biggest downfall that America will see will not be from an external force, but we from within. Our founding fathers 
said that the biggest force that we have to deal with is from our threats from internally because we don't have to worry about things externally because we are Americans, we are red-blooded Americans, we love this country, and we will defend it to the end of days. The problem is now we're eating ourselves alive from the inside. Remember back in the day then, after 9-11, we didn't have divisiveness of saying, you know, chickens are coming home to roost and all these other issues. We had the problem with people putting too many American flag stickers out on on poles and light posts out in the cities and then having a littering issue from all the stickers that were American flags. That was the issue that we had. Nowadays, it's hard to find somebody proud to wave the American flag because they want to burn it or they think that it's oppressive in some way, shape, or form. Oh, how the times have changed. How the times have changed. Rudy Giuliani was on Newsmax earlier today as well to do a bit of commemoration as he was, you know, America's mayor. He was the mayor of New York City at that time for 9-11. And he talked to Newsmax a little bit about his reminiscing of what he went through during that day. The feelings are complex feelings. Um, It's the, I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is it was the worst day of my life. And in some ways, you know, the greatest day of my life in terms of my city my country, my family. It was the worst foreign attack on this country since the War of 1812. It was a complete surprise. It was an attack on completely innocent people. And I watched it firsthand. I mean, the first shocking incident, as I described to you, that really put it beyond anything I had ever experienced before. And boy, I had experienced a lot as mayor, was to watch a man jump 101 floors. I was transfixed by it. And all the things that go through your head, why is he doing it? And how did he make that choice? And, oh, my God, can I stop it? And ridiculous thoughts. Can I grab him? And then all of a sudden he hit the ground and watch what happened to his body, which I will not describe. Yeah. Uh, I I said to myself at that moment, uh, I better watch out. This could put you in shock. And I grabbed Bernie Carrick's arm. It was my police commissioner. I said, Bernie, this is beyond anything we've ever faced before. We're going to have to throw out our books. We had 24 emergency management books. And we're going to have to make this one up based on our instincts. And then we're going to have to pray to God we made the right decision. But you got to stay really flexible on this. We've never faced this. America's never faced this. We're going to have to invent the rule book. Yeah. And he said, uh, boss, nobody better than you. That was Rudy Giuliani, America's uh, mayor, that was on Newsmax just earlier today talking about the reminiscing of September 11th. When we come back, we got to take a break right around the corner here. When we come back, we'll continue with a commemoration, but not 9-11, something that happened around the same time frame, but with Benghazi, as we try to remember that one as well with our U.S. Embassy from, what, 10 years ago now in Benghazi. As Hillary Clinton said, at what point does it really matter, right? Well, it does matter, and we will remember, and we'll talk about that one when we come back. I know it's a solemn episode for a Friday. I'm sorry about that, but it's kind of important, isn't it? Let's do this. Right around the corner here on The Voice Reason for a Friday. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Holy cow, this is one of those tough ones where we cover everything and do the best we can not to get upset or angry. It's a commemoration show here on The Voice of Reason. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one 
radio listener at a time on multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting. Got to give a shout out to the OpsLens family, OPSLENS.com, as we stream live on their website and app and their social media. A lot of listeners on there, people sending uh, comments and stars, and I don't know what the stars do, but thank you for that. I love it. Appreciate it. I appreciate you guys joining the program. We played our, if you missed it now, I think it's on our website at HoosierReason.com. Which is a reminder, our newsletter will be coming out on Monday as well. So if you have not signed up for our newsletter, it is free. You can go to Hoosier Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R, HoosierReason.com. Sign up for the newsletter, become a Hoosier Holic, and you can get our monthly newsletter on there. I believe that if you missed it or if you want to hear it again for our 9-11 commemoration audio, our collage that we've did, our montage, it's about seven or eight minutes long. If you missed it... Then you can either wait till next year to play it, or you can listen to the podcast of this program, or you can go to our website and you can download that audio as well, uh, just because. It, were, it took a lot of years and a lot of work to put that together, that montage of audio bits, and I want it to go out there because we will not forget, and I don't care, while the media, mainstream media may not be talking about it, we're going to here on the show. At the same time, again, being the commemoration ceremony uh, show, apparently, the program that we're having today, we're going to continue on the trend because, can you believe it, Ten years ago, at the same time, was the incident in Benghazi. Let's talk about that one with our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. And I'm excited to have on the program to talk about some of this. What did we find out? A reminiscing of what happened in the investigations from thereafter with his latest book, Benghazi. A new history of the fiasco that pushed America and its world to the brink. Excited to have on the program here, Ethan Choran. Ethan, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on very much. We just went from our commemoration of September 11th to now this Benghazi. And I know after it all happened, and I was, I remember very clearly watching some of the investigations and Hillary Clinton up on the stage and, and trying to talk and do the Q&A back and forth. I remember very clearly of us trying to figure out what really happened, what led to the issue in Benghazi, and what was going to happen thereafter. And I still vividly remember Hillary Clinton saying, at what point does it really matter? So I ask you, Ethan, now that we're 10 years into this and we're trying to get this information out here, at what point does it really matter, Ethan? Well, I mean, this is a question that I'm trying to, that I've I've, I've tackled in this, in this book. I think one of the big ironies of Benghazi was that uh, most Americans remember it as this uh, cat and dog fight that uh, lasted for four years and uh, appeared out of nowhere and kind of disappeared into nowhere. Right. And does it really matter to uh, recast uh, uh, Secretary Clinton's uh, statement? Um, and what I'm arguing as someone who uh, has been dealing with Libya for the last 15 plus years and who was in Benghazi during the, uh, during the attack and on the phone with the diplomatic mission uh, and uh, as, as the attack was underway, I have been obsessed for the last few years with trying to figure out, uh, A, what happened, and more importantly, what, where did those, answering those two questions, where did it come from, and what, what's happened as a result? And I think the vast majority of Americans are, are baffled, not only by those questions, but by what actually happens on the ground during that during that. Uh, uh, during the during the attack, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's start at the beginning of that. Let's go back to before the event happened. What led up? I mean, you being involved with it, you having hands-on experience here. What led up to the event that we saw with the attack on the embassy? Well, uh, basically, the the attack had its origins in uh, most uh, directly in the deal that the United States made with Libya back in the early two thousands. 
uh, a period when I was posted to the uh, then diplomatic mission, not embassy in, in Tripoli. And um, essentially, uh, the Bush administration had decided that uh, uh, we might derive some, some benefits from bringing uh, Libyan dictator, uh, former dictator, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, in from the cold. And, um, but we had a long history with uh, both Gaddafi and many of his enemies. We courted a couple of his enemies. Some of them were radical Islamists who'd been trained in Afghanistan, and others were more military types that we backed. Both of them we backed to try to kill Gaddafi. Um, and once the rapprochement was in place uh, and the relations were improving, um, we decided that we had to basically uh, try to uh, become a bit more friendly with some of those elements because we'd have to all they'd have to all get along in some way. But then the Arab Spring came, and all of a sudden, and there was a revolution in, in Libya, and all of a sudden, all bets were were off. Um, uh, and um, as you can tell, this is a bit of a complicated uh, sequence of events, but essentially we had gone from being friendly with some of these uh, jihadists to uh, then um, rendering them back to Gaddafi for torture and interrogation, mm -hmm. uh, and then becoming uh, somewhat friendly with them again, not knowing exactly whose side they were, were on after the, uh, after the Arab, Arab Spring revolutions. And that... Uh, those changes in, in 180 degree changes in policy effectively put us in a position where we were exposed in Benghazi and some of the people that we were relying upon for security uh, were, in fact, not not uh, trustworthy. Wow. That is complicated, like you said, and I can only imagine the boots on the ground, you guys that were there and experiencing with this and seeing the policy changes back and forth like that. I'm sure the trust pretty uh, went downhill pretty quickly with those that you were involved with over there. Well, I, I left. I was in the foreign service for uh, for four and a half years, and I came back as a as a private citizen to work on uh, medical infrastructure sure. after the revolution. Um, and so I was there in Benghazi during the attack uh, as a as, as a private citizen. But I was uh, in touch with my former colleague uh, and friend Chris Stevens, uh, one of those who were uh, tragically killed. Um, and yeah, I mean, we had there was a lot of. There were a lot of warnings beforehand, and uh, I was deeply uh, worried that about making that trip over the the uh, anniversary of 9/11. And uh, my premonition, I, I decided to to go to continue on the, on this trip because I felt that there was something worth worth fighting for there. And I know that uh, Ambassador Stevens felt the same way. That things were were were. Uh, I think Chris Stevens had felt that he had contributed to. Uh, building a case with the Obama administration for in, for intervening in Libya, and that the uh, that that was something that that the situation in, in Benghazi was deteriorating rapidly, and he needed to be out there to to try to see if he could uh, do some things that were that would reverse the trend. And one of those things would be to solidify the status of the temporary mission as an actual consulate, which would mean that it would get more security and uh, uh and funding sure so ironically he had to go out there without that um, that protection <laughs> in order to get the protection for the future wow unbelievable talk about that night of and your experience and what you heard and then and, and obviously the the official statement from the government and from the clinton uh secretary of state's office saying that it was youtube videos that sparked this outrage but talk about the actual incident that night and what you experienced 
Well, it was very, uh, you know, the, the, the atmosphere in, in, in Benghazi right before the attack was, uh, uh, was superficially calm. It's a, it's a city that I, I grew to love and, and, and know quite well. And, um, over the years. And, um, you know, despite the concerns, things were rather quiet until uh, until they weren't. Uh, and I was on the phone with uh, one of our sponsors, local sponsors, uh, um, just before we heard the um, signs of the attack and was asked, do I do I know what's going on at, at the at the mission? And I, I immediately felt that that was a bad sign. <laughs> I have no idea. What, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, there was a huge um, RPG fire, and um, uh, we were based at a in a hotel about uh, uh, three kilometers away. Uh, and so my thought was, well, if that mortar, if that RPG fire was coming from the mission, uh, we're in for a, a, a long, a long, uh, long haul. Um, and then various, there was a bunch of activity around the hotel itself with. Uh, uh, militia members and personnel carriers and all kinds of, uh, of movements that we couldn't quite figure out what they were and what they were related to. We had no idea what was going on in terms of casualties at, at the at the mission, um, and were essentially holed up in our room for uh, for the better part of the night until I uh, I finally fell asleep from from exhaustion for a few minutes and um, well actually more like an hour I guess. And when I woke up. All, all trace of, it, of any of what had happened the night before was was completely gone. It was very very un, un, unnerving, and the city was was eerily quiet. And then we had to figure out. Then I was uh, informed of, of, of Ambassador Stevens' death, and we had to figure out how the heck to get out of the, out of the city. Um, we want our host took very good care. We were taken to the hospital where uh, Ambassador Stevens was taken. Um, uh, after he was pulled from the, you know, uh, non-responsive from from the wreckage of the of the, of the mission, uh, and we didn't realize, or we were shortly thereafter told that that many of the there were good guys and bad guys from the, the from the fight out fight that that uh, previous evening in um, in the hospital, and we had to be careful not to uh, reveal ourselves. And then we were taken to the. Ultimately, we managed to get uh, onto a commercial flight. Um, and we're, I remember standing on the, the, uh, the tarmac before the last flight out and thinking, you know, uh, that this, the, the repercussions of this, of this attack were going to go far beyond Benghazi. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. Ethan, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Sure. Awesome. I appreciate that. I'd love to continue this conversation. It's Ethan Chorin. The book is Benghazi. Just came out a couple days ago. A new history of the fiasco that pushed America and its world to the brink. When we come back, I want to talk about the policy changes, a foreign policy, how this affected us moving forward. And has it changed or did it affect any of our foreign policy and military actions in that region? We'll do that when we come back here as we get ready to wrap up the program for a Friday here on The Voice of Reason. Stay right here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes here of the show as we wrap up for the weekend. We get set for September 11th on Sunday, this 10-year anniversary of Benghazi, the commemoration. We're hanging out with Ethan Choran, author of the book Benghazi, A New History of the Fiasco That Pushed America and Its World to the Brink. He's a former diplomat, political analyst, and more. Ethan, I had a message on some of the live stream from listeners as well about the movie 13 Hours that kind of uh, talked about this issue as well with Benghazi. From your opinion and from what you saw in you, you know, being around and uh, being involved in it uh, to some degree, how accurate was that movie, they were asking? Was it pretty spot on? Was it uh, was it like that, or was it a little more Hollywoodized? Well, I mean, I have to say that the book on which 13 Hours was based was was a you know, commando-eye view of things that, that, that happened, that actually happened, and was... was uh, from all accounts uh, and my own experience, very accurate. Mm. The the movie was very exaggerated. I uh, I didn't care for it much, but mainly because it I felt that it, it portrayed uh, uh, Ambassador Stevens as a sort of clueless extra in the whole process. When in fact he was a central character and uh, was very much involved in everything from the advising on the intervention to um, you know, uh, and he certainly appreciated the risks that he was that he was taking uh, in uh, in Benghazi. So um, also the portrayal of the city of Benghazi was, and the thing was actually shot in Malta, not in not in Libya. Uh, so you see these uh, uh, cathedrals in the background, uh, which are not exactly appropriate to the uh, to the setting. Um, very cool. Now, your book. Let's uh, we got a few minutes here, and I don't want to waste any time here. But let's talk about your book for a second and the investigations that you've done, the research that you've seen, and moving forward, what has changed since Benghazi? Our foreign policy, our military operations, or our 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 embassies, and how we actually operate in some of these other countries. I mean, what have you seen since this incident? Well, I think one of the biggest biggest uh, uh, impacts of Benghazi was something that many of the people that I interviewed in various. Uh, uh, departments in, in the U.S. government, from from the CIA to the State Department, is something they referred to as the Benghazi effect, which uh, basically is a wave of risk aversion. Uh, we, after the Benghazi incident, we became, uh, as a as a government and at various levels, extremely averse to uh, to to putting uh, individuals, uh, government personnel, in in harm's way. And that had uh, we also uh, were very reluctant to take more forceful stands in places like not only Libya, which was sort of left cold, uh, and the eastern part of the country uh, basically turned over to uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda, but uh, to uh, Syria, where we were in the middle of of some arm's length uh, uh, or, uh, funneling of resources to rebels there, whom we also didn't quite understand what their affiliations were. Um, one prominent journalist uh, called uh, uh, said that basically Benghazi killed the whispers of a strong Syria policy. I, I fully agree with that. Uh, it also had impacts on uh, things like uh, uh, I mean we we pulled our, our our personnel and many of our our spies and other resources in from the field uh, exactly to prevent another uh, exposure to another Benghazi type uh, fiasco and uh, more committee hearings and things. And um, we lost the ability to, to some degree to understand what was going on in many of these places, like in Yemen, wow. where uh, the uh, Iran-backed Houthis were uh, gradually becoming more and more significant a problem. Um so it, it, it kind of goes on like this. But I think the bigger lesson is that the 
uh, all of the noise and the partisan uh, fighting uh, around Benghazi created um, a, a climate in which foreign policy becomes a tool of domestic uh, uh, partisan fighting, and we lose the ability, the, our, our institutional ability to analyze uh, what's going on abroad. And the people who are benefiting from this are our adver- adversaries, whether it's al-Qaeda or, uh, to some degree, you know, Russia, which uh, uh, have took, took advantage of the chaos in Libya to, to increase its influence there uh, and in Syria. And, you know, that's a path that has led to uh, ultimately the war in Ukraine, which certainly isn't unrelated. Sure. Um, so we need to fix we need to fix our our, uh, our house uh, in or, uh, back home, or else we're in for uh, a dramatic loss of influence abroad. How scary! How scary! You're right. We need to do a lot of house cleaning on our own end so we can actually worry about these things. Because we asked the question at the beginning of the show: Is what is the big threat? Is it domestically here or is it internationally? And we still have those threats there that. We seem to not pay a whole lot of attention to nowadays. The book is Benghazi. Ethan Chorin. Ethan, it's so great to have you on the show, my friend. I appreciate everything that you've done. I'd love to chat with you again here real soon, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, appreciate that. Does it for us today. Back at it on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. Remember these things with Benghazi, with September 11th. Don't let these things fly under the radar, especially with the mainstream media. We'll pick this back up again on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.